in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, we're going to be talking about this morning um, the 10 spiritual disciplines for the Christian life. And if you are a reader or you're somebody who maybe frequents Desiring God or the Gospel Coalition, you'll know that maybe this list will look a little familiar to you. Uh, Don Whitney is a professor at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and wrote a book of the same title, Exploring some of the same things. And as we are entering into a brand new school year, I always think that it's a really good opportunity that presents itself for us to kind of assess where we are spiritually and what we can do to be growing and learning in our relationships with the Lord. And so this morning, as we look at this text, we're going to be looking at 10 different spiritual disciplines that will help you as Christians grow in your walk and in your faith in the Lord. And so what does it mean to be disciplined? What does that look like? Because maybe some of you hear discipline and you think like corrective measures, like timeouts or, you know, what, like, or taking away things. What do you mean by that? Well, there's a different word that's used for discipline. And that is, you know, in use in maybe military terms or uh, in working out, being disciplined is that you're doing something repetitively in pursuit of a goal, something you're growing towards, something you're pursuing. And in the Christian life, when we want to be disciplined and do things daily and work to, to do things in our life that help us grow closer to the Lord, our goal is that we would end up looking like Jesus and growing closer to Him, to be conformed to His image and to look like our Savior. What this reminds me of is when I was studying Greek at Southern Seminary, one of the things that we were taught was that we had to be incredibly disciplined in order to accurately learn Greek. And I think this is true of any language, right? If you're someone who maybe uses Duolingo or something like that, and you're trying to learn another foreign language, I think you'll agree with me that in order to properly learn another language, you need to regularly be looking at the vocabulary and practicing learning that language. So in my Greek class, for example, my professor warned us, he said, okay, this is going to be different than any other class that you've been in, because there's going to be things that you have to do daily. And if you don't, you're going to find it impossible to catch up in this class. And that was the first class I took in seminary. Naively, I thought, oh, okay, I'll just study a couple times a week. And, and then I'll, I'll, I'll be able to do the things that he says that we're going to do, to read the entirety of the, the book of 1 John in Greek, the way it was originally written. But I didn't do the work. And I found myself constantly having to catch back up over and over and over again. And then I actually ended up failing the class. And it was because I didn't take the time and I wasn't disciplined in studying the vocabulary and looking at it daily. It wasn't a part of my routine. It wasn't a part of my life. It was just something I did when I had time. And it wasn't enough. And I didn't end up reading First John in the original Greek. I failed miserably on my exam. Now, I got to retake the class and I did a lot better the second time. But as we look at these spiritual disciplines this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to keep in mind our goal for why we should be disciplined spiritually. The goal is that we would look like Jesus and that we would grow closer to God. So if you've got your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, starting in verse 1 says this, now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, though the insincerity of liars whose consciousness are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received 
for thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, I pray as we enter into this time, God, of looking at your word. God, I know there's a lot of different places we're going to be in your text this morning. But Father, I pray that you would help us to understand, God, why it's important for us to be training ourselves up for the purpose of godliness. God, that we would see this exhortation to Timothy from Paul. And God, that we would work to train ourselves up. Father, not in, in, in just body, but in spirit. And God, that we would not fall into the trap of silly myths or things that are irrelevant to you. But Father, that we would be training ourselves daily with the things that draw us near to you. God, correct the things in our life that draw us from you. And God, help us not to tack on the things that we need to do in our life, but God, rather to build those things in. Father, I pray that you would not be an afterthought to us. And God, I pray that you would help us to be trained, God, to be disciplined. And God, to work to grow closer to you in every aspect of our life. So God, I pray that you would be with me this morning. God, as I preach this word, and God, I pray that you'd be with me in weakness. And God, give me strength. Father, I pray that you would be exalted this morning and not myself. And God, I pray that for all of us, Father, these disciplines that we would take and that we would apply to our own lives and God, that we would practice regularly. God, not to check off a box on a list, but God, to grow closer to you. So Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity to gather and worship. It's your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen. So the key verse we're going to be looking at this morning, this is one we're going to be coming back to pretty regularly as we study each of these disciplines, and that is this, have nothing to do with the reverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. See, what Paul is doing here is he's encouraging Timothy, the one that he is mentoring, the one who is pastoring. He's telling them to, or telling him to, in all that you do, have nothing to do with things that are irrelevant to the gospel. In the very beginning of this text, he warns about different things that are going to happen. People are going to fall into false teachings. People are going to claim things that are, that are unclean, that are clean. People are going to kind of do their own thing and, and kind of lift up their own uh, personal sense of training and, and what their personal sense of righteousness is, rather than looking to see what God claims is righteous and what is good. And so what he's warning him is saying, don't have anything to do with things that are silly and irreverent but rather to train yourself in godliness. Then he says, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, 
as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. All the spiritual disciplines we're going to look at this morning will stem from this idea. This idea that as we train ourselves for the purpose of godliness, that God would transform us into the image of His Son, Jesus. Now the reality is, God allows us to walk through certain things that transform us and mold us into the image of His Son. Right? I think we've talked about that before, this process of sanctification, God making us holy. But the reality is, there are things that we can do as Christians daily in our lives in pursuit of Him, to train ourselves up, and things that we should be doing regularly. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to have a list, and we're going to go through each of these. There's 10 of them. And so some of them we're going to spend a little bit more time on. We're going to be looking at certain texts that have to do with it, and then some we're going to go pretty fast. Now, it's not to say some are more important than others, but I will tell you these first two are probably, one, it's if you ask someone, how do I grow close to the Lord? They're stereotypically going to say, Pray and read your Bible. Well, that, those are really important, so we're going to spend a little bit more time on those. But the rest of these all are important in their own way. So some we may go by fast, but I'm hoping this list will be helpful for you that you can go back to as well. So the first spiritual discipline is Bible intake. Bible intake is the first spiritual discipline. Don Whitney says, No spiritual discipline is more important than the intake of God's Word. Nothing can substitute for it. There is simply no healthy Christian life apart from a diet of milk and meat of Scripture. Now we call this Bible intake, and I don't call it Bible reading, because I believe that you can intake God's Word in other ways other than just reading it with your eyes. And because of the, this, this world that we live in with technology, with apps, with smartphones, there are so many ways that we can daily be in God's Word, even if we're not looking at it with our own eyes. And when we talk about Bible intake, we're talking about other ways that we are fed using God's word. And he uses this language of food, and we see that all throughout Scripture. For example, when Jesus gives his prayer, the Lord's Prayer, he says, Give us today our daily bread. And then Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, or 3 and 4, talks about how uh, these Christians that are newer are drinking milk, but they need to move on to meat. Things that are deeper, things that, are, that, that you get to chew on a little bit more. He talks about... God's word almost as if it's something that our soul consumes as nourishment. Because the reality is it is. But here's what happens. Often when we ask people, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, we ask ourselves, how often are we in God's word? A lot of us would say, today I am. But I think a lot of other times we would say that our Bible reading is, is pretty poor. And if you, with your own bodies, only ate once or twice a week, what would you be like? You'd be starved. You would be weak. You'd be malnourished. You would, you'd be ravenous anytime you got around food, right? It'd be something that you consume pretty fast and pretty quick. We wouldn't starve ourselves bodily, right? We would eat regularly, sometimes for some of us too much. But the reality is our souls need God's word. God has, has blessed us with his, his true and living word. And it's something that we should be working to consume in our life on a regular basis. It's good for our hearts. It's good for our minds. It's good for our souls and our walk with him. 
2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says this, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be, equip, may be complete and equipped for every good work. God's Word is important. All Scripture is God-breathed, which means all of it has purpose and design and importance in our life. And we should work to do what we can to intake it regularly. So how can we do that? How can we intake God's word well? Well, one, we can read his word. <laughs> Grab a Bible and read it. Grab your smartphone, read it. There are so many incredible apps right now for Bible reading. It is, it is absolutely insane. For example, I, I have an iPad and I have Logos and it's the fancier Bible app, but I have access to all these resources, note-taking, different translations, the original Greek and Hebrew, all that all in the palm of my hand. I can take notes, I can reference things, and I can do all of that instantaneously. There's no reason why I can't regularly be in God's Word and be learning new things daily. And some of you may go, well, Dustin, I can't pay for Logos. That's expensive. You're right, it is expensive. Um, thankfully, I was in seminary, so I got a little bit of a discount. But there are a lot of other apps, too. There's Bible Gateway. There's, uh, what's the other one? The one that has, it's just called Bible there's a lot of different options that have resources like that. Reading plans, devotionals, commentaries, even sermons that are linked to some of these texts. For example, Desiring God is a great resource for that. Um, R.C. Sproul's Ligonier Ministries is a great resource for that. There's a lot of ways that you can be in God's Word regularly, be learning regularly, all from reading it. But not all of us read regularly. Not all of us just pick up and read a text, which... I would encourage you, it's really important to do, even if you're listening to God's word, take time to get a physical Bible and read it. Because yes, I love some of my Bible apps, but sometimes you need to just be in God's word on text and paper. The reason why is because these things can be distracting. Even if you have do not disturb on, even if you have airplane mode on, our phones can still be a distraction. Our devices can still be a distraction. Sometimes we just need the paper and the ink of God's word. So I'd encourage you to get one. And if you don't have one, we have some in the seat back in front of you. Feel free to take it with you. That can be our gift to you. So how else can we intake God's word? Well, you can listen to the word. There's an incredible smartphone app called Dwell, and it has completely changed the way that I read the word daily. It's, it's an app that has a ton of different voices. It has music in the background as you read God's word. There's different plans different things to keep you motivated and checked off that you're reading God's word because the inspiration behind it was back in these times, people didn't have regular copies of God's word. They relied on people speaking out God's word, teaching it publicly, saying it out loud because a lot of them didn't know how to read. And so God's word has always been spoken and it's good for us to hear God's word also being spoken. And for a lot of us, we have commutes, we have times where we can put music on or we can listen to things. Why are we not listening to God's word more? Listen, I just finished a book that was 14 hours long and I finished it within a week. And I'm a pretty busy guy. And if I can listen to something like that in a week and you have time to listen to the radio or watch something on TV, you've got time to listen to God's word. You've got time to read it. Make time for it. And don't wait till you have five minutes extra to do that. Let it be something that's built into your schedule. So you can read God's word. You can listen to the word. 
You can surround yourself with God's word. I know people that put different scripture references everywhere in their house. When we were at our life group at UBC, for example, we would go into someone's bathroom and they would have Bible texts all over the mirror that are written out. And it was so encouraging and cool to see that. And it was cool to be reminded of of God's goodness and, and his desires for us, even in just the regular parts of walking through someone's home. And then lastly, you can meditate on the word. It's good to read it. It's good to listen to it. It's good to be surrounded by it, but also marinate on it a little bit. And I use that word like in the food sense. Our food tastes better when we marinate it, right? We have a chicken sandwich recipe where we marinate chicken in this like jalapeno pickle juice for uh, uh, 24 hours. And it makes some of the best chicken sandwiches I've ever had. It's amazing. But in the same way that we marinate our food to taste better and to, to enjoy it more and for it to be richer in flavor, meditating on God's word does the same thing. Don't just go in here, read a chapter, close it and be done for the day, but actually dwell on it. Think about it. Read it multiple times. Look at the text. Think about the context. Spend time really chewing on and marinating in God's word. And I think Don Whitney says it really well is that there's no healthy Christian life apart from the regular intake of Scripture. There is no healthy Christian life apart from that. If you are not in God's Word in some sort of regularity, it's hard to be healthy. Just like if you aren't eating regularly, it's hard to be healthy. So church, my encouragement for you, if you don't get anything else from me this morning, because I know with our our time, we're going to be going through some of these pretty fast. But I think this is really, really important to stay on. Read your Bible. And if you need help with it, let us know. Because we'd love to help you, to encourage you, keep you accountable, give you resources to help. Guys, there's a ton out there. So the next one is prayer. Anytime, again, you ask somebody, how do you grow closer to the Lord? They're going to say, read your Bible and pray. It is stereotypical. It is what we always say. But there's a reason why we always say it. Because it's really, really important prayer. Colossians 4.2 says this, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert with it in thanksgiving. Prayer is our communication with God. We're told not only to pray, but how to pray. Prayer is so significant, yet, oh, yet for, over, for so many people, it's overcomplicated. Many of us have forgotten not only the power of prayer, but how to pray. So here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Pray, pray like Jesus did. I will ask you, if you do have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. I think it's important if you're able to lay your eyes on it this morning in your Bibles, please do so, because I want you to see the way Jesus structures his prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 says this. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street, on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, They have the reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need them before you ask. Now, before we keep going, I want to stop here for a second. Okay? The first... I believe sometimes we overcomplicate our prayers because we think they have to sound amazing. They think they have, we have, they have to sound wordy and fancy and super deep and spiritual. But 
What Jesus is encouraging them is don't pray to be seen. Don't pray to sound good. Don't pray to, to use fancy words or don't even be overly wordy for the sake of being wordy. I remember when I was a young Christian, I would just pray these super long prayers because I thought, well, praying for a couple minutes isn't long enough. I got to extend this sucker out. So I would just start saying things, but didn't mean it. And that's, that's empty. That's void. That's vain. Because he says here, your father knows the things before you ask him. He knows the prayers in your hearts. He knows what you need. And so you don't have to be over exorbitant. Even if you don't know, even the words that you need to prayer, God knows your requests. Just ask the Lord to be with you. He knows your unspoken prayers. He hears your heart. Be genuine. Be honest with him. Just communicate with him. There's not a code to prayer. It's just communicating with our Father. So then Jesus prays, and, and some of you are probably very familiar with this, the Lord's Prayer. I memorized this in the KJV, so it's always weird to read it in this way. But he says this, Therefore you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts, as we've also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's Matthew 6, 5 through 13. So let's recognize and see how Jesus' prayer is structured. His prayer was not about asking God for things he wanted. Sometimes we use our prayers and we treat God like a divine waiter or like an Amazon wish list. I want this and this and this and this and this. Check out. That's not the way God works. Notice Jesus' prayer was not about himself. It wasn't about things he wanted. Instead, his prayer was structured around what God wanted for him. Your name be honored as holy. He starts his prayer recognizing who God is in his majesty. Your kingdom come, your will be done as on earth as, in, as it is in heaven. Jesus is proclaiming and asking God, your will be done as you see fit. Everything that happens on this earth, everything that happens on this world, God, we, we ask that you would make it so the way you want it to be, not ourselves. And then he finally does ask something. He says, give us today our daily bread. He's asking God to give him what he needs daily. That kind of goes a little bit further down in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talks about anxiety and talks about how today has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. <laughs> and he says that God provides for the birds of the, of the sky and the lilies in the field. He can provide for you too. Trust that God will give you the provisions you need for today. And then he asks for forgiveness, but he asks in forgiveness in a way that he asks that God would forgive him the way he forgives other people. And for Jesus, that's a perfect prayer because he forgives people perfectly. But sometimes we are really bad at forgiving people. And that's a really hard prayer for us to pray. Because honestly, if, if, if we forgave, or if Jesus forgave us like we forgave others, there'd be a lot of people that wouldn't be going to heaven. And so recognize that this prayer was not about what Jesus wanted. It was about God. So pray daily. Pray regularly. And if you need a little bit of help, pray God's word. Pray scripture. Psalm 23, 1-3, you, some of you may be familiar with this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. One of the very useful things that I learned 
was that you can use God's word as a prompt to prayer. So for example, if you look at Psalm 23, maybe you're reading that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Use that as a prompt to prayer. God, you are my shepherd. You lead me. God, you know what's best for me. You are in charge. God, help me to follow you well. I shall not want. God, help me not to want the things of this world. God, help me to desire the things that you want for me. You can use God's word as a prompt to prayer. And if you do that, make that a regular practice, I promise it's going to change your prayer life. So next we have number three, and we're going to be moving through these a lot faster as we go through. <laughs> I told you it's going to be a little bit of a breakneck speed. The next is worship. Matthew 15, eight through nine. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines, human command. We are warned that we should not worship with with our actions, but with our hearts. Our actions proceed from our hearts. And so when we worship, it needs to come from here before it comes from out here. And our worship needs to be genuine. The next is evangelism. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are commanded to share our faith to share our faith with others around us, both in words and in the way that we live. And this isn't age restricted. This isn't your spiritual maturity restricted. We are all called to go and make disciples of all nations. And so make evangelism a regular practice in your life. Discipline yourself to share your faith. Practice by sharing your faith, even just with one person a week. And the more you do it, the more comfortable it'll be and the more you'll see God work in that. Ask for opportunities and take them when they come. The next is serving. Serving. And, and I love, you know, I talked about this over a month ago. Philippians 2 is one of my favorite passages in the scriptures because it shows the way Jesus is humble, but also shows the way that he desired to serve us. That the one who's the king of kings, the lords of lords, came to not be served, but to serve. And so a regular discipline for us to practice is to serve people well and with a joyful heart. Look for opportunities to serve your family, your coworkers, your community, and even your church, even if it's just a small thing every day. Because it's through service that people tangibly see the love of Jesus expressed through the actions of Christians. Look for ways to serve. And if you'd like to find a way to serve, we have plenty of opportunities here at FBC Greenland. So <laughs> come see me, come see me after service. The next is stewardship. Stewardship. This is, this is kind of a hot, hot topic issue. Some people don't like to talk about this, but here's how I've seen it. In every job that I've been in and everything that I have, when I begin to see the resources that God has trusted me with as that I am not an owner of it, I'm a steward of it, it changes the way I use it. So for example, I work for county government as my full-time job. And in my, in my county government job, I'm a steward over taxpayer resources, the things that you pay for, and I have to be wise with what I do. That doesn't mean that I go out and frivolously spend taxpayer dollars on the newest and nice thing, but rather I accurately assess what do we need for our office, what's going to work well, and then where is a good price point for us to be responsible with this. And so I'm entrusted with it. I don't own that money. It's not in my name, but, but they have trusted me 
to be over a certain value of dollar to spend it well. In the same way that I do that in my job, and maybe many of you do that in yours, God has given us and entrusted us with resources, with time, with talents, and with finances for us to use those things well, to be good stewards of them. It means we look for ways to tithe obediently and to do so with a glad and joyful heart, to not tack it in, but to budget it in, to look for extra opportunities to give to ministries or to people, or to utilize our finances in a way that's honoring to God. Maybe that looks like you, you have people over regularly or you cook people food or you find ways to be involved in meal trains or you provide a need for somebody, even if it's not a financial need, maybe it's something tangible, something physical that they need, whatever it may be. God has entrusted us with a lot, but we are called to be responsible with what he's given us. Utilize your finances and the things you have in a way that is honoring to God. The next is fasting. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. Jesus himself fasted and not only saw it as an important thing for us to do, but it's also a biblical thing for us to do. See, fasting can often reveal things that God is trying to tell us. And we see fasting from food. Uh, some people say, oh, well, you can fast from other things too. Well, you can, absolutely. But I think the idea of fasting from food is this idea that your body alerts you, hey, I'm hungry and I want something. And it's in that moment that you utilize that time to spend more time with God and to ask him for clarity on certain practices. I remember there was a man who used to go to this church named Scoot Sanders. He would, he would fast pretty regularly. And it was always incredible to hear the way God would make things clear for him and the way that God would work in his life whenever he would do that. It was always an encouragement to me because honestly, I had no idea what fasting was until I started coming here. But God uh, often can reveal things to us and use seasons of fasting to draw us near to him. The next is silence and solitude. Some of you introverts are like, yeah, that's, that's on my list without this being spiritual. But for, for some of us who maybe struggle with that a little bit, like myself, silence and solitude is a way for us to get away from the world, to get away from distraction, and to focus on God. And what I mean by that is I think regularly when we spend time in the Word or when we are listening to it or praying, we are often surrounded by either other people or things that distract us. And I think sometimes we need opportunities where we are alone, where we are in silence and we are in solitude, meaning that we are alone with the Lord. And one of the things that we had to do for an assignment was we had to spend four hours in silence and solitude. And I was like, I hate this assignment. I'm going to go crazy. Like I told Victoria how much I dreaded it. Like I had a horrible attitude about it. And then I remember uh, sitting in the student building that I worked at at the time. And I spent four hours in silence and solitude and it went by like that. Because what we were doing was we were, we were told to spend 30 minutes worshiping, listening to worship music, singing, 30 minutes in the Word, 30 minutes in something that's, you know, a book that helps us to draw in closer to the Lord, and then 30 minutes in silence where you don't say anything, you don't listen to anything, you just sit there. And I found it to be such an experience that I felt like I was spending time with God for the first time in forever. Because I felt like for the longest time I was asking God for things or praying and reading the Bible and then just immediately going on to my next thing, but never allowing an opportunity for God to work those things out in me. So it may not be that you can do this four hours a day every day, but maybe when you're in your quiet time, when you're with the Lord, practice being solitude, practice being silent. 
I mean, we see that with Jesus, right? Whenever he's in his earthly ministry and he's going to pray to his father, he, he gets alone and he's quiet. And sometimes that bothered the, the disciples. They kept wanting to interrupt him, but Jesus saw it as important and we should see it as important too. These last two, we're going to do both at the same time, journaling and learning, journaling and learning. Some, somebody once told me that they thought the Bible was a big journal and I was like, mm, that's not true. But I did think about the fact that we have this Bible because God inspired people to write things down. And I think sometimes when we are in different moments and seasons of our life, we often forget the way that God had worked through that season. And sometimes having those things written down and journaled for us to look back to and to see God's faithfulness is incredibly important. I think about a name named George Mueller. George Mueller uh, was a man who started one of the largest orphanages in Europe. George Mueller took the verse of God will provide everything you need. Literally, he never asked for anything except from God. He didn't have a full-time job. He and his family solely lived off prayer. And what God did through that and through his ministry, he started one of the largest orphanages in all of Europe. And George Mueller wrote down his prayers. 50,000 answered prayers were all answered within 24 hours. And because George wrote those things down, we have record of those and we can see God's faithfulness in his life. In the same way that we see God's faithfulness here in God's word. We look at the Old Testament. We look at the stories of how God allowed the Israelites to go through the desert for 40 years. But what we see is we see God's faithfulness in that because he was preparing another generation to go and take the promised land. So practice writing things down. Practice writing down prayers. Writing down what God is doing in your life now so that you can look back to it and see God's faithfulness in your own life. And the last that I'll leave you with this morning is to learn. Be a learner. Disciples, those who follow Jesus, are learners. Read a book, take a class, attend a special lecture or conference, ask questions and dig into things you haven't dug into before. We are called to be students of God's word. Seek to learn and seek to gain wisdom from God. I want to end with this. 1 Timothy 4 verse 8. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is a value of every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy, deserving of full acceptance. For it is to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially to those who believe. What are you doing to grow closer to that living God and to pursue godliness? What are you doing to grow in spiritual maturity? Will you pray with me as we have our time of invitation? God, I pray that you would help us to grow in faith. Father, that we would grow in understanding. God, that we would grow in discipline. Father, that we would pursue godliness. God, that we would pursue what it looks like to look more like you. And Father, I pray for anyone in this room that claims to be a Christian, God, that they would take these spiritual disciplines and God, work on doing those things daily. God, because apart from your word and from prayer, we cannot have healthy Christian lives. And God, I pray for if anybody doesn't know you, God, maybe they've, they've never confessed their faith or God, they've never claimed to be a Christian. God, I pray 
that they would see these disciplines, God, not as a, a, a burdensome activity, but God is something that draws them into the one and holy living God. One that seeks to transform them, one that seeks to want to be with them forever, one that wants to give them joy and strength and encouragement to face every storm that comes. Because God, without you, without your word, without you transforming our hearts, God, we are lost. And God, we cannot withstand the storms of this world without you. God, give us strength. God, give us encouragement. And God, I pray if anyone doesn't know you this morning, Father, that they would be bold. And God, they would ask about salvation, about what it means to grow closer to you. Father, we pray for this time of invitation as this, as this altar is open for prayer. God, I pray that you'd work in our hearts. In your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen.